Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. I just want to get us started actually by reading to you a passage from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says this, it says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is God speaking to his people Israel in uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, this is a very popular scripture. Some of you may be more familiar with this translation and the NIV that says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The translation I read from initially, the NASB said plans for welfare. This translation says plans to prosper, which leads us to what we're looking at this week in week number two of our series, Church Chat. What we're doing in the course of this series is we're looking at different words that are frequently used in the church world or in Christian circles, and we may not always necessarily have a full understanding of what that word exactly means. And for week number two of this series, I did a little voting thing on my Instagram, so if you ever want to maybe, you know, have a voice in what we're talking about, just follow me. I did a vote, should, should we talk about the word prosper or the word disciple. And disciple was in the lead for quite some time, but then just right at the last minute, Prosper snuck ahead and won the day. And so people wanted to, more people wanted to hear, what exactly do we mean when we use this word prosper? So that's our word for today, prosper. And we're going to be looking at it through the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, since that is the most popular verse in all of the scriptures that uses that word prosper. It's probably one of the top 10 most popular verses in all of the Bible. Like you see it on uh, bumper stickers, you see it in pictures, you see it all over the place. And so what exactly does this word prosper mean? Does it mean an accumulation of material goods? Does it mean that one day we will all be millionaires if we just believe enough? Does it, does it mean that we will one day have a beautiful house and an amazing car and a diamond-studded swimming pool. Is, is, is that what God is talking about when he gives this promise that you will prosper in this passage, Jeremiah 29, 11? And some of us, maybe you've never asked that question before, what exactly does this mean? You already have kind of your own definition of what it means to prosper, but you look at other people, and when you compare your life to their life, you start to wonder, why do they get to have good things and I don't? Why do they succeed when I don't succeed? Many of you have asked a similar question to the one that Jeremiah asked way before Jeremiah 29 and Jeremiah 12 when he asked this question. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Some of you have asked that question before. Maybe not in that way. Maybe you've just said, why is that scumbag who lies and cheats and steals from people continually getting promoted at work and I'm continually overlooked? Why is, that, why is that jerk who is just completely obnoxious all the time and is dishonest with other people, why are they noticed and awarded and then I do the right thing and nobody looks at me? So you may have not asked it in that context before, a Jeremiah 12, why have the wicked prosper, but you may have just used a different name and some different language and wondering, why do good things happen for them and not for me? But that brings us back to the same question, what does it exactly mean to prosper? 
What exactly is God talking about here as he's speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel who've been brought to exile in Babylon? What exactly does this mean? But what, if, what if prospering didn't have as much to do with material goods as what we maybe previously assumed? What if prospering wasn't about becoming a millionaire or having a ton of money? What if prospering wasn't as much about something external that you've accumulated, but it's more about something internally that you can experience? What if prospering was less about the quantity of things you obtain in life and more about the quality of life that you can experience? I'm going to ask that one again. What if prospering was less about the quantity of things you obtain in life and more about the quality of life that you can experience? Because when you go to Jeremiah 29 and you take out that word prosper and you look at the Hebrew word for it, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, but here's what the Hebrew word means. Some say it should be pronounced shalom, but who really knows? Uh, but, but the word prosper there in 20, Jeremiah 29:11 actually means completeness, soundness, welfare, and peace. That's, I believe, why the one translation that I, that I look at here, the NASB, translates it to say welfare. It's about something internal. It's not as much about something external. This promise to prosper is more about a welfare, a a completeness, and a peace that we can experience. So today I am going to make the contention that God desires for you to experience a level of prosperity, that God desires for you to prosper, that God desires for his church to prosper. But when I say that today, please don't take me out of context and go tell somebody later today, oh, I went to one of those churches where they were telling me I was going to get a jet one day. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. When I'm using the word prosper, I'm using this Hebrew definition of soundness, completeness, wholeness, and peace. That's the definition that I'm functioning with today when we think of what does it mean for us to prosper, and how can we experience prosperity? But before we get to the promise to prosper in Jeremiah 29, 11, we actually should look at what I call pre-prosperity in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment when we're at this idea of pre-prosperity, because for, for those of you who've maybe grown up in church before and you've taken a few Bible classes, you've probably heard people say before, Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most misquoted scriptures in all the Bible. It's taken out of context. It's this, it's that, it's that. And, and yes, I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. But just so you know, I did study before I, I gave this message this morning, okay? I did read some commentaries. I have looked at the context. I do know what's going on here. Just so let me give you a brief overview. God is speaking. I know I've already said this, but just to be abundantly clear, just to be abundantly clear, God is speaking through his prophet Jeremiah to the people Israel, and Israel had been brought into exile in Babylon. So because of their disobedience, they were now in Babylonian captivity. They had turned away from God, and now they're in Babylonian captivity. This is how things worked in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was structured in what we would call a theocracy. God had a nation. They were called Israel, and he had a a land for them to go to. They would disobey. They would not obey. But now, thankfully, we live in a New Testament period. We are in the context of this group of people called the church if we follow Jesus. It's a little different now. It's a little complicated. We don't have time to get into all of it this morning. But anyways, so that God is dealing with his nation Israel who's in Babylonian captivity for disobedience and he's giving them a promise that they will one day prosper. We good? That's the context of this. So pre-prosperity. What exactly do I mean by this? 
Well, before Jeremiah 29, 11, which we love to quote and look at, there's Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. And Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 gives a completely different context to Jeremiah 29, 11. I want to read this to you. Look at this in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Whenever you get a statement that says, thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord, you should pay attention. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. There we go. That's the whole context right there. Exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. Now while this is a communication between God from a prophet to his people Israel, I believe that there are applicable points within this that we can bring out today as well for the church. And so I, I just want to get us started to, to getting into their mindset a little bit because the people that, of Israel, God's people, the Jewish people, they would have known their God as the God who rescued them out of places like Babylon. They would have known their history as, oh God, you took us out of slavery in Egypt and led us, into, led us towards a promised land. But now the God who had once led them out of slavery was now looking at them and saying, yeah, you should stay in Babylon. They've got to be thinking, what happened to God? Why are you telling me to stay in Babylon? We don't belong in Babylon. Why are we now staying here? Why, God, do you want me to stay in Babylon? Why do you want us to stay in Babylon? It wouldn't have have made a lot of sense. It would have been confusing for them. It would have have almost been like as if their history had pressed rewind because Babylon was very close to where Abraham started, who was the father of their faith. Abraham in Genesis, when God said to him, go to the land that I will show you, Abraham started in a vicinity that would have been close to Babylon. So it was almost as if their entire history had now pressed rewind. They had went backwards. But how many people here know that sometimes you got to go backwards so that you can move forward? How many people know that sometimes you got to go back just a little bit so that you can better appreciate where it was that you were so that you can go a little bit further? Sometimes you got to go backward. Sometimes we become so entitled. Sometimes we become so, I'm just holding on to the things that we have, that we forgot where we came from and we got to go backward so that we can go forward. Sometimes we have to lose something so that we can gain something. And I, I was at a church planter training a little over a month ago, and one of the pastors at this training, he said, when, when the pandemic hit and churches stopped meeting, it, it wasn't like the church pressed pause, it was like the church had pressed rewind, the church as a whole in the United States, it's like the church pressed rewind, we went backwards. And he was saying that as if it was a bad thing, and I get where he's coming from, but I wonder if the church needed that. I wonder if the church in the United States needed to press rewind a little bit. I'm not talking about a new story because we didn't exist yet. But anyways, uh, but I, I'm wondering if, if those who had identified with the church had become a little bit too entitled. I wonder if those who had identified as followers of Christ had, had gotten to the point where they were just clinging to power a little bit too much and they forgot that there was a difference between having power and investing and having influence. I wonder, I wonder if the church needed to go backwards and press rewind a little bit so that we could have a greater humility and a greater appreciation for where it is that God has brought us. Instead of stomping our foot and saying, I demand this, maybe we should be saying, I'm so grateful for this. 
The church, sometimes you got to go backwards so you can move forward. Don't worry, we're still talking about prosperity. We're going to get there in just a minute. But, but we got we to get the context here. And so Jeremiah 20, they had to go backwards. And then also, God said to them, hey, Babylon, you're going to stay there. If you guys want to know what Babylon is like, go read the book of Daniel. Daniel and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's wonderful VeggieTales specials about it. But, but the, the, they were in a society that was not pro-God. They were in a society that was pro-King Nebuchadnezzar. They were in a society where the values in Babylon, the values and the social norms in Babylon did not align with the values that God had given to his people Israel. And what does God say to his people when they exist in a society whose values do not align with his? He doesn't say retreat. He says stay, build, plant, eat. This is, this is, see, this story's happened a long time ago, but it's not so distant. What do you do when you're in a society and you feel like all oh, the values here may not necessarily align up with the values that God is calling me to? Build, plant, eat. We're gonna get into this. Let's go. Jeremiah 29, five. I wanna look at this again. He says to them, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. I was doing some research for this message and I listened to a sermon that I really liked on it from Pastor Erwin McManus and with this particular verse he said, maybe it's time we stop pretending like we're better than this world and we start focusing on creating a better world around us. Maybe it's time we stop saying, oh, just get me out and we say, how can I create a better world around? He said, God placed them in Babylon and he said, build, plant, eat, work for the good of the place that I have put you in. Work for the prosperity and the welfare of where you now exist. I know that James in the New Testament says this life is but a vapor, but when he says this life is but a vapor, I don't think what he's saying is, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. I think what he's saying is you need to make the most of every moment. You need to make the most of every moment that God has given you. You, you. Because this life is but a vapor. It's short. And while we're here, we are supposed to build, we are supposed to plant, and we are supposed to work towards the flourishing and the success of the communities that God has placed us in. That's one of the best ways we can be a testimony to what God has done in and through our lives. And he's, I love the part where he says, can you go back for just a second there, Jamar? Look at this. This part's so exciting to me. He says, and eat their produce. Eat, eat, eat. Eat. How do we bring this in today's context? If we live in Buffalo, eat the pizza. <laughs> Enjoy it. Eat the chicken finger subs. Eat the Paula's donuts. Eat the Salem's hot dogs. Enjoy it. Enjoy the society that God has placed you in. We have a friend who drives here from Rochester every week. Enjoy the garbage plates. Not too many of them. That's not good for you. That's called gluttony. But anyways, and enjoy them. <laughs> enjoy Eat, be a part of the societies, be a part of the culture that God has placed you in. Instead of just saying, I'm it, listen, if God did not want us to build and to plant and be a part of the societies and the cultures that we're in, then as soon as we gave our lives to Jesus, he would take our lives and we'd go to heaven. He wants us to build, to plant, to be invested. Look at what he says in verse six to them. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. And I love this. Do not decrease. Do not decrease. Do not decrease. Do not decrease. Our strategy as those who follow God should not be to just leave something and to decrease our influence. 
Our strategy should be to build, 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 and increase. He says to them, hey, take fathers and sons and daughters, and take your wives and marry one another. Get, get integrated into the community. Marry, build families. I'm sure that almost every generation has had this thought, including my own. There have even been times when I've had this thought when I look at what's happening in the world and say, man, do I really want to bring kids into this world? <laughs> do I really want to build a family in this, in the, in, with all the tension and everything? Going, do I really want to because the world seems so broken, it seems so dark? And while maybe all of us have had that thought before, it's not a thought that God desires for us to have. He says, build families, increase increase, increase. If we retreat and we decide we're not going to increase and be the light, then who is going to be the light? All throughout history, whether it was in Israel or now it's today with the church, God uses his people to be the light in the world. That's how God reaches the world. And by us decreasing, that's not how we reach the world. We're, we're here to build families. If we build God-centered, build light-centered, build hope-filled families, and build the future, and increase, increase, increase. It doesn't just mean in building families either. We should be increasing in all different ways, in all different platforms. I, I don't, I, I'm really not trying to offend anybody, and if you've done this before, I, I'm, I don't have a personal issue with you or anything, but it is something I want you to think about. It, it is stunning to me when I get on social media and somebody says something to the effect, I see a post, I am now getting off this platform because... There's blank agenda on here, and I can't stand it anymore. Now, if you're getting off of a social media platform because it is bad for your mental health or because it's become an addiction for you, I support that. It's, it, social media can be addictive. It, it's not good. It can be bad for your mental health. It can lead to certain... But if you're getting off of a media platform because it supports a certain agenda... Listen, I get, I get to an extent where you're coming from with that, but imagine if every Christ follower looked at every platform that way. We're just going to leave. If we have a responsibility to in the platforms that God has given us to be a light in those spaces, because if we, if we abdicate our responsibility to increase and be the light, then who will be the light? Who will be the light shining in the darkness? We have been designed and created to increase, increase, increase. Look at this in 29 verse 7. Here we go. We're back to the prosperity thing. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Or your translation might say, seek the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. In its prosperity, you will have prosperity. This is pre-prosperity. If you want to experience prosperity internally, then you better be willing to fight for prosperity externally in the society that God has placed you in. Yeah. Instead, of just, instead of just saying, oh, this sinful world, I just can't wait to get out of here, we should be saying, how can I bring light to the space that God has put me in? How can I engage in the conversation? How can I better listen to people? How can I fight for the flourishing and the welfare and the prosperity of this community? 
For me, I I love Buffalo. I love our festivals. I can't wait for them to come back. I love our restaurants. I love our sports. Fight for the flourishing. I love the small businesses in our community. I try to support them to the best of my ability. Fight for the flourishing of the communities and the cities that you live in. Some of you, I know you're somewhere in Rochester. Some of you watch are from Florida or from Virginia or from different parts of the country. We are to fight for the communities that we live in because when we fight for external welfare, when we fight for external prosperity in the communities around us, we will begin to experience an internal prosperity as well, an internal peace. I was just uh, talking with, with Dr. Dave a couple weeks ago about our sermon writing process, and because he, he, he speaks a lot, and, and he's saying, uh, he said, Scott, I keep coming back to this idea. I didn't ask for his permission to share this, so I hope he doesn't kill me, but anyways, he said, he said, he said Scott, in my message, I just keep coming back to this idea of the sovereignty of God whenever I put a message together. The sovereignty of God is that God's in control of all things, essentially. That's a simple way of saying it. It's way broader than that, but that's a simple way. I'm just going to put it there. He said, I keep coming back to this idea. I said, Dr. Dave, I keep having a similar thing where whenever I'm putting together a message, I can't get away from this idea that our faith is not for us, but it's for others. So you, if you've been coming here for a while, you've heard me say that a million times. Or you maybe have heard me say, you're not saved just for your sake, but for the sake of others. That, that faith is not just this internal thing so we can feel good about ourselves, but it's so we can pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If that's what he came to do, then that's what we should be doing as well. And we should be serving in and fighting for the people in our cities and in our communities. Proverbs 11.25 says this, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Notice I changed the translation there because my translation said those who waters others will also be watered. And I was like, that just doesn't translate. But anyways, those, those who refresh the others will themselves be refreshed. And this carries into the New Testament as well when Paul says this in Galatians 6.9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. In due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. We have to work for the external prosperity so we can experience the internal prosperity, which brings us now to the promise to prosper. The promise to prosper. Any of you ever been through something, you, you knew a friend who was going through something really difficult, and in that moment, it was really easy to look at that friend and say, God is good, I'm praying for you. God is good. And then you were going through something very similar not too long after that, and they were saying the exact same thing to you, and you were thinking, would you just please shut your mouth right now? You do not know what I'm going through. I'm not trying to be rude, but sometimes that happens where it's, it's very easy to know the history of who God is, but then to be in the present moment of facing something difficult, that's a completely different scenario. And that's, that's where Israel finds themselves. Once again, they knew who God was. They knew God brought his people out of slavery. They knew that God was the one who fought alongside David and for David so that David could take out the giant Goliath. They knew who God was. But now they're in this present moment of Babylon and there's this promise of prosperity and this responsibility that was given to them. And I imagine that was playing with their minds just a little bit. Look at this in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 11. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. 70 years. We love reading 29.11, 
But 29.10 says that they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. You're going to be in exile in this place that you do not want to be in for 70 years. That brings up an interesting question. Are you okay with the promise to prosper if it means you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years? 70 years you're going to be in this place that you do not want to be in. That means some of you are going to die here. Many of you are going to die here. And it is going to be your responsibility in this place to let those who come after you know of the goodness of who I am and what I have done for you, even though you're in a place that you don't want to be in right now. 70 years. And it's so easy when you get in a moment like that where you've never been in necessarily a physical exile like Israel is, but maybe you feel like, in a sense, a spiritual exile. Instead of trusting in God, it's easy to just blame God. But there's still a promise for them to prosper. And, and I, this is why we had to go into pre-prosperity, because I think that to unlock the promise of 29.11, you have to be willing to live out 29.4-7. To unlock the promise of 2911, this internal prosperity that you can experience, you have to be willing to live out four through seven. You have to be willing to accept where God has placed you. You have to be willing to say, God, I know you have me here for a reason, and if you don't feel like he has you here for a reason, then maybe it's time to move. I don't know. But anyways, so to experience 2911, you have to be willing to live out 29, four through seven. And that changes the game a little bit. Because that's saying, I'm going to accept this place as my home now. This is home, and I'm going to fight for this place. I'm going to work, I'm going to build, I'm going to plant, we're going to increase, we're going to make some babies, you know? We're, we're going to do all of these things. We are going to increase in this place. It's saying, God, I know that you have sent me here. You have sent me here for a reason and a purpose. You have sent us as a church here in this community for a reason and a purpose. And we are going to fight for this place. We are going to fight for this community. So to fight for, to experience prosperity, this internal, this hope of prosperity, we have to be willing to fight for the prosperity of the communities around us. Here's what happens when you embrace a 29, four through seven mindset. You will begin to see the 2911 promise come to fruition and you'll see it come to fruition in this sense. You will go from being a refugee to a resident of where God has placed you. You will be, go from being a mourner to a missionary. You will no longer be a victim of this space, but you will be a visionary. You will say, God, you have me here for a reason. I don't always like the winters here in Buffalo, but you have me here for a reason. You're no longer a, a refugee. You are now a resident of the space that God has you in. You're no longer mourning. You're a missionary on mission, on focus to build and to plant. You're no longer a victim. We bring vision. We are popping with vision here at New Story Church. And I believe God has a vision for each and every one of you because Proverbs says, without vision, the people crumble. We have a vision and we are exploding with vision. We are exploding with light. We should be people who are exploding with hope because we've experienced an internal, God has done something for us, so we're working for the good of the community around us, and then we begin to continue to experience more of that internal hope and prosperity. You want to know my favorite part of 2911? It's not the part where he talks about a hope and a future and, and all that stuff. My favorite part of 2911 is when God says, I know. I know. I know. And as my pastor Sean says, I know he knows. Wherever you're at right now, you can know that he knows. I know he knows. I know he knows. Come on, say that with me. I know he knows. 
I know he knows. I know he knows. You may not be where you think you should be right now. You may not be where you want to be right now. All the pieces may not be falling into place right now, but I know that he knows. And if you just say, hey, I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to do this 29, 4 through 7 and build and plant and work and increase. I know that 29, 11 will come to fruition. I'll continue to see it be manifest within my life because I know that he knows. When we fight for prosperity externally, we will experience prosperity internally. When we fight for it externally, we will experience it internally. That's what we experience in Jeremiah 29, and that's the application for us to bring into the reality that we live in today. A lot of time after Jeremiah, uh, the Apostle Paul was writing a letter in the New Testament. If you guys don't know who Paul is, he wrote almost half of what we have today is the New Testament. And he's sitting in prison. And he, and he writes something in regards to prosperity. Now, he is talking more about material prosperity in this particular passage. But I think that this still applies to us. He's sitting in prison. And he's writing this letter to this church, this place called Philippi. And he says this. I know how to get along with humble means. Well, no dip. You're writing this from prison. And I also know how to live in prosperity. He's saying, hey, I know what it's like to be on preachers and sneakers. I've had it all before. I know what it's like to have humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What's the secret? What's the secret? What's the secret of being in abundance and being in need? He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. All things, all, not some things, not just some occasional things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Can you bring back up that definition of prosperity that I had, the, the weird Hebrew word, shalom, or shalom, however you want to say it? Because I, I want to make this connection here for us. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Because completeness, sound fair, soundness, welfare, and peace, we are made complete in Christ Jesus. He gives us a sound mind as we take every thought captive in him. He brings about welfare in our lives. He gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. You see, we have something that Jeremiah didn't even have access to. We have the resurrected king, the resurrected savior, and he is our prosperity. So he has empowered us to fight for prosperity, and when we do that, we will experience more of him and what he has for us. Jesus is our completeness. He is our soundness. He is our welfare, and he is our peace. And in him, we can do all things as he strengthens us. Philippians 4.13 is a great verse, by the way, but it's not meant for just before a football game. I know people like to do that and everything, but it's not necessarily meant for that. It's meant for life in general and the things that we face through life that in Christ, he has given us strength. He's given us completeness, soundness, welfare, and peace. In Christ, we can build. In Christ, we can work towards the good of our communities. In Christ, we can increase. In Christ, we can work towards the welfare and the prosperity of where he has placed us because in him we are complete and in him we have our peace. Yes. Amen. So as, as wherever everyone's at today, I don't know what's going on in everyone's life. It's impossible for me to know that, but I don't know where you're at, whether you're online or here in person today. 
know this, that this promise of prosperity is not necessarily about material goods. I mean, God does want to bless us, and sometimes, you know, cool things happen, and it's really great. But this is more about something internal. This is about something beyond ourselves that we've been called and designed to live in. And, and I want to encourage every one of us here today that wherever God has you, that you would fully embrace that place, that you would learn what it means to fully embrace the job he has you and the family he has you in and say, I'm committed to fighting for the welfare and the prosperity of this place. Not just because I know that I will experience that as well, but because that's what he's called me to do. And in Christ, he has given me the strength to do that in that place. I want us to be a church where we champion our communities, we champion our cities, we champion wherever it is that God has us. Because that's what we've been called to do and that's how we as God's people can best be the light and increase in the space that he has us in. So if you would please bow your heads and join me in prayer in this moment.